everyone, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. Nolan, how are things? How is How are you enjoying the new expansion of uh, World of Warcraft? I sleep less and play lots, and so far I guess that's an okay thing. Sleep less, play lots. That's, that seems like about your MO. Yeah. Got a lot of... A lot of stuff to do early in an expansion, which is nice. Uh, next week is kind of the start of the Mythic Plus and, and the basics of the raids. So just getting kind of the, the pre-gear set in place and ended up uh, healing all of the Mythic Zeros this week, which was, it's been many years since I've healed consistently. So that was a fun, terrifying experience. Did you let the tank die? Uh, not unless he did something stupid. Well, DPS was another story, but no, it got it got better as time went on, and and of course with gear things got a lot easier. So I was surprised how smooth it went. Well, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying it. Let's see, Cyberpunk comes out Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken, right? Sounds correct. And I will be at Tech Week for this new show that I'm a part of, so that means I will not be playing it until Sunday evening. That's all right. That gives it a chance to have day one, day two patches or something like that. Or I don't know, try avoid spoilers as much as you can. I've got in that same boat of like, I really want to play it, but when are you going to have time? Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. I might have my son throw it in the PS4 just to get it updated and, you know, get it installed, I should say. Um, yeah. But other than that, it's I'm not going to be messing with it. I'm sorry, the Xbox, not the PS4. I am excited to pick it up on pc uh it should be the first game that i don't want to say challenges my system but the system is made for so yeah i don't think it'll challenge your system i'm i'm hoping it does it'll be weird too because i've got a i've got a nice little curved monitor and that's fun and then my little side monitor is a 4k monitor and i'm like ooh, do i need to switch this up a little bit for this game like i'm I don't know. I'm excited because I, I really do want to see the difference and and just kind of if it's worthwhile. Sure. No, that's cool. I I think it's going to be neat. I, I I really am curious to see how your system handles it. I'm sure it's going to be just fine, um, but I might have to sneak over and take a look at what you got going on when you get it all set up and running. I'll uh, sanitize and fumigate, and you'll be able to play on. You can play both and see what you like better as far as control wise and stuff like that. That stuff's always interesting to me when these new games come out and such, just because I feel like there's certain games that I can't imagine playing without a controller um, and vice versa. Uh, Borderlands 3 is another one that I've got on Xbox and then I've got it on PC and it feels weird doing that transition. But if you don't know the difference, I guess it's not a big deal, but right uh, right it'll be interesting to see there's some that are just i don't know how you play on xbox without having a inventory button or a bag button you know or organization stuff or dropping and clicking stuff into place and sure so. yeah and i i'll be really curious to check it out um like i said i won't be touching it until sunday evening sometime um it's tech week so that means you know it sounds like the rehearsal schedule is get off work, go straight to the theater, leave the theater whenever we're done, hopefully have dinner, then go to bed. <laughs> Crunch time. Yep, this is it. So, but that's for a different time. Anyway, so we do have a topic of the night, and uh, that is going to be Yugman's Guide to Gelsbad Part 5. Now, obviously, we did not have a show last week, and I do apologize for that. Uh, it's just one of those things where 
I was up very late Saturday, unintentionally did not have anything ready. And when I woke up very late Sunday morning, I text Nolan. I'm like, dude, I am not ready at all. And thankfully, he was very understanding and said, yeah, no problem. I think I had also gotten to bed at like three o'clock in the morning and was zombie mode. So it worked out in my favor. Yeah. I just let you feel bad about it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, let's see. Obviously, like I said, we are talking about Yugman's Guide to Gelsped. Uh, if you were on our, if you listened to this sh the last show we had out, we had Travis Leg and Josh Heath join us the, to discuss Dead Man's Rust, the new mega campaign for Scarred Lands. We're going to talk more about that later on in the episode. But so we've been focusing a lot on Scarred Lands these last few episodes, and we will continue to do so. I know we, we're planning on talking about uh, Yugman's Guide to Gelsped Part Six, which will be the final installment of Yugman's, and then taking at Frostlands of Fenrilic. So we have a couple of more episodes of Scarred Lands lined up. So hang with us because we. We love the Scarred Lands, and we think you should too. But before we jump into that, let's jump into the news. So headed over to Dungeons & Dragons, Tasha's is out and in the wild. It's kind of crazy to say this, but seems like it is sold out all over. Nolan, have you seen a physical copy of it at all? I have not uh, in person. Uh, I've seen people who've got it early, had the pre-orders early, uh, and then that seems like they just kind of disappeared. So... It's, it's, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's a production numbers weren't up or if it was more popular. You know, I, I'll be curious to see the story on that. But I've also noticed, I mean, it is kind of that weird season two of like, uh, it seems like everything's kind of sold out or back ordered or not enough printing. So, so I have to think some of that's probably COVID related. Maybe there wasn't enough published or printed at first. Um, but I also really think it probably leans more to the fact that. D&D is just getting even more insanely popular than it was before. I know the pre-orders for Tasha had it sitting in like the top 15 on Amazon in sales, which nice. is crazy to think when it's a, you know, it's a Dungeons and Dragons book. And, you know, I thinking about when I got into D&D, that would have never happened. Oh, wait, Amazon wasn't even around. Well, I mean, Stone Tablet D&D would have been popular too, so. Exactly, asshole. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, my son went down to our local game store puzzles and attempted to purchase it, but couldn't, uh, I checked on Amazon and it was sold out. So I think that's really awesome. I think it's awesome that D and D is getting so popular that so many people are enjoying it and that we're seeing these books start moving up in, in, in some of these sales categories. So a good job fan base way to push that book. But there is something that I, I want to talk about because I don't, it's not awesome at all. And I was talking to Nolan about this, and it just really bothers me. Um, I saw some people on Amazon are selling the alternate art of, of Tasha's uh, for between $90 and $100. Now, I know once Wizards has its back in stock and you can buy it on Amazon, which you can do, you're going to get it for the, the normal $49.95 price. It just bothers the shit out of me when I see people price gouging other people. Now, here's the thing. If you're going to get the price, then I guess go for it because I guess people are going to pay for it. And it just, I personally am not going to pay $100 for a book when I can hopefully wait a little bit and pay $50 or just not buy it at all. And it just bothers me so much that people are so willing to price gouge other people. What are, what are your thoughts, Nolan? I think you see it a lot. Uh, we were seeing it with the PlayStation 5. There's just people and stacks of people who bought 10, 15, 20 of them just to flip on eBay. Um, and I think that is a, you know, I think anytime there's something that's popular like that and there's an opportunity to make money, people will take advantage of it if they have the opportunity to. So it's a, it's a bummer uh, for sure. And hopefully there is a way around it 
uh, in a non-pandemic time where you can just don't have shortages, I guess, of product. You know, I guess you, you mentioned eBay. And I would think personally, if, if, if I don't know, eBay seems to be the place where you're going to go to get gouged. Uh, I see it a lot with when I was really in the Magic the Gathering. You know, these these big sets like Modern Masters or something would come out and stores would sell out fairly quickly. And then you would see people, you know, throwing them out on eBay for a much higher price or even stores selling them for a much higher price. I, yeah, I know MSRP is just that. It's the suggested retail price, but it just, I don't know bugs the shit out of me and i won't pay for it and that's just yep. me and i know there's other people who will yep totally agree so okay enough ranting about that i did want to mention a couple weeks ago wizards of the coast released a gift buying guide for the dungeons and dragons fan in your life i was flipping through this well scrolling through this catalog i gotta admit it's not bad nolan did you get a chance to check it out i did there's quite a few things in there that adventures guides uh some of the choose your own adventure stories for the kids kind of thing but I, I, you know some of the stuff we we had seen earlier too you know the the dritt statue some of the pop funko stuff the whiz kids uh, dragons was really cool uh, i really like the uh, wilderness kit set so some of that stuff is i mean when you get back to playing in person and that kind of stuff i think would be fun uh, i don't i don't know i i think kind of the same boat uh, a little pleasantly surprised and and realizing that there's a lot more product out there than i guess uh i had paid attention to uh, in a while i i did not pay attention to any of like the the dungeon mayhem stuff uh any of the adventure begins kind of situations there for the family game so it's kind of cool i think it's a i don't know an area un unexplored stuff that i haven't looked at so it was nice to see yeah, I agree. I mean, it's like everything from throw pillows to books. You have a wide variety of gifts in here. And, and it's interesting when I think about like how Dungeons and Dragons was when I was growing up <clears throat> or even when you were growing up because it was nowhere near as popular as what it is now. I mean, I couldn't imagine walking or, or seeing a magazine or a catalog, sorry, that said, hey, look, here's a throw pillow you can put on your couch. Could you imagine when you were growing up walking into someone's house and seeing D&D related throw pillows? It was always tough to try and find stuff. You know, it was always the the hidden area or if you wanted that kind of stuff, you know, you were you were hitting different stores that it was even in those stores wasn't, wasn't what they were known for. So it's some cool looking t-shirts. Uh, I don't know if I could use an umbrella or not, but I would rock some D20, you know, socks or something just for fun. So Oh, there you go. Gift idea for Nolan D20 socks. <laughs> I'm yeah, there. so check it out. I do have a link in the show notes for everybody to check that out. It is, like I said, surprisingly good. So um, speaking of surprisingly good, let's let's talk about WizKids real quick because they have some fascinating D&D models coming out. And I do think, you know, overall, WizKids does a really good job. I used to be very critical of pre-painted miniatures, but I think WizKids has really stepped up their game when it comes to this stuff. But there's two individual models that I want to draw attention to, and that being the Hand of Vecna and the Yawning Portal. Now, Nolan, I, I, I was able to show you these over the during the week. What did you think of these two models? I like them a lot. Uh, they look well done. It looks like a, a pretty solid quality to it. Um, I think needing to see it in person is probably where I'm at to try and justify the price tag uh, for me, just because that usually is where it is. You would have to, you know, really be inspired by the Hand of Vecna or really having your campaign set up in the Yawning Portal uh, to, I think, get your value out of it. Um, Agreed. That, you know, 
because what that's, these... I guess that's different for everybody, but just for me personally. I now the artwork for the hand of Vecna was not finalized, um, so I I didn't grab it because I didn't want to throw it out here. It does look good though, so if you go to WizKids site, check it out. I have a link to the WizKids site in the show notes. I did, however, grab the artwork for the Yawning Portal and throw that in the show notes, so you guys can take a look at that. I, I'm not gonna lie, there's some this model I I. Now, I'm not going to buy it. It's got a price tag. Both of these are going to have a price tag of well over $300. And this is just something that would sit on my shelf. Now, like Nolan said, if if you had a campaign based in the Yawning Portal, like if you were playing through that book again miserably, um, you would use, I, I could see using this or even in Waterdeep where the Yawning Portal was such a big deal in that campaign. Um, but overall, though, wow, they did a hell of a job with it. Yeah, I agree on that one. And they do a good job with most of their stuff too. Uh, their their theme stuff is really great. Uh, you know the the dragons have been really impressive, especially oh, size yeah. wise too. And so, yeah, I, I think they're doing it well. Are pretty impressive. Yeah, and you know, and even the stuff they put out for Avernus was really good. Mm-hmm. The the death machines were really cool. Uh, some of the that you know, I know that we've seen their really awesome uh, boat that they made uh, for when Salt Marsh was out. I I would <laughs> I would love to take a moment to walk through Joe Manganiello's Dungeons and Dragons room because I guarantee you he's got every one of these like the beholder on the wall, the dragon heads, and things like that. Right, it'd be pretty neat to take a look. I didn't see a whole lot else for D anD D. Did you? I no, I did not. I know they have their holiday games coming up. There was a like holiday comedy games or something like that. Um, I didn't read a whole lot into it. Uh, so it's just live streams of different games that they're doing. So if that's something you're interested in, make sure you head over to Dungeons and Dragons website and take a look. Uh, other than that, let's bounce over to the Onyx Path where backers of Cults of the Blood Gods recently received their backer PDF of the book. Uh, this is exciting to me as this means we are getting closer and closer to seeing this book printed and... <clears throat> Um, sorry, Cults of the Blood Gods is a source book for Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition that was on Kickstarter a while back. Uh, we did an uh, episode with Jacob Burgess, who is one of the writers on the book. So make sure if you want to learn more about that book, you can check that out. So that was, was kind of cool. I like seeing that these projects moving along. It's nice to get that PDF to actually be able to start reading through that book, although I'm terrible uh, reading the PDFs. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Speaking of Kickstarter projects, the aforementioned uh, Dead Man's Rust did launch on Kickstarter and was fully funded. I think it took about a week, but it is fully funded and they are currently working through stretch goals. Nolan, you went ahead and backed this one, didn't you? I did. Uh, This is going to be one that I can see us because you and I are both fans of Scarred Lands and this is a mega campaign. I, I see us playing this one. I hope so. I, you know, and after talking with the guys about it, uh, it seems really interesting uh, having a couple of different areas to visit as well and explore. I think that way you're not locked in one place. There'll be some travel. So it, it sounded good. Yeah, I think it sounds really cool. Uh, it's going to be this will be one that when we do get the PDF, because you'll get it, um, we'll be able to grab that PDF and immediately start playing because I can just throw that one on my iPad instead of waiting for it. So uh, I know we are talking about uh starting a monday night game of people who are going to be playing in the scarred land so we get to get back to that setting so i'm excited about that which will be starting what the first of the year is that what we decided yeah somewhere close so yeah we'll be doing 
some more scarred lands play here very soon i'm excited to do that um other things I, so there's a link in the show notes for the kickstarter other things from onyx path include city of towered tombs was released for sale this week on drive through rpg this is a source book for the rpg cavalier of mars which is a game i am absolutely not familiar with how about you so if you're a fan of that game uh be sure to check out that new source book so over at Hunter's Entertainment, backers of the Altered Carbon RPG should have received an email this week letting them know that the book is getting ready to ship. Uh, I'm super excited about this book. I really enjoy the Altered Carbon series on Netflix and have read the first book, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, we will be taking a look at this book when I get it. Uh, Nolan and I will do kind of our breakdown where we talk about the different classes and stuff. We may go into a little bit of character creation. I don't know. It just depends on how much we really enjoy it. So be looking for that soon. Uh, speaking of updates, Nolan, anything new on Tolis? Uh, just another Kickstarter update. Uh, got some more pictures of the land and the realm behind it. Uh, some of the, another character as well. Looks like they're still in layout form of trying to get the massive book put together. But at least the, the updates are coming consistently and, and getting to see some of those pictures. So a few months to go. The artwork you shared with me looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, I've I I'm really excited to see the world uh, and and kind of or at least the, the island or the place or the city. Uh, I think that'll be neat. It's it's going to be interesting to be in an adventure town where that's kind of everybody's job and and everybody's pastime. It's almost like a, a small town type feel where every boy you know like plays football and every girl plays volleyball and that's kind of like you know what I mean. Like it's well, you know, I got to floor six in 99 and, and, and I got this ring and, you know, and you're like, old man, I don't care. I'm going to beat you. You know, I'm going to move on. I'm going to get out of this place. Nobody gets out of this town, kid. You know, like, I think that'll be fun just to kind of see my dad. My granddad was an adventurer. And gosh, if I'm, you know, this is the this is the family legacy. If I'm not the quarterback, I mean, the you know, the cleric, then ooh, what am I going to do? You know, so. I think there'll be some fun avenues there. <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> Mixing that all in. That's funny. <laughs> this is the shit I have to deal with every day with him, just so you guys know. It's, I enjoy it. It's going to be a fun little town. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited about Tolis, and that should be March or April of this of 2021, right? Yeah, it looked like it. Yeah, just a few months out, give or take pandemic. So, so I mean, we're so we will be have will be have. Wow, that was weird. So we should be having uh, Dead Man's Rust. We should be having. Polis, we should be having Cults of the Blood Gods. A lot of these coming about the same time. So, oh boy. Yep, lots of reading. Lots of reading and lots of playing because I know we are going to jump into Tolis. We are going to jump into Dead Man, or not Dead, yeah, Dead Man's Rust. And I'm not sure about Vampire yet. That one might be the one that we, you know, ease our way into because it's such heavy, heavy material. But Tolis and, and Dead Man's Rust, we will be playing. Give or take Altered Carbon as well. Uh, that could yeah. be. So, yeah, lots of uh, good games and need more time. That is always the case. <laughs> All right, so let's jump over to the topic of the week. Before we do, though, do you need to go refill your cup? I'm good. Me neither. I bring it down with me. As I say, I brought a thermos. We're ready. <laughs> I saw that. Okay, so our topic of the week, we are resuming our look at the six-part book, Yugman's Guide to Gelsbad for the Scarlands. We are specifically looking at part five of this book, which introduces, what, three new subclasses? Uh, yeah, three subclasses, a couple churches, uh, a new race, and how to build an existing race. All right. Where do we want to jump in? Uh, you know, I, I think in order of the book, uh, 
it was interesting seeing the backgrounds again. And I think that not necessarily sets a theme, uh, but this time it had a couple of interesting sides of the same coin. And that's dealing with, I don't necessarily know if church is the right area or religion, I, I, I guess it's right. probably closer. Religion's probably a good one here. Yeah. Uh, I really like, I think I really like all the backgrounds this time, which is kind of cool. Uh, I think there's just opportunities there uh, to build a story on whether you're retired from it or pursuing it. But the angels of Namorga, I guess, are kind of like a little death cult. And they kind of, when yeah, they, they decide <laughs> somebody's outlived their existence in this world, uh, the, the goddess or god of death, yeah, god of death, tells them that it's time to assassinate these people. And that's kind of what they are, is this group of crazy people who are assassins-esque. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting, but they don't do it for money. They do it based upon the voice. And so you kind of have this... Uh, whoever the benefactor is pulling the strings doing kind of the work. And it reminded me of, there was a movie, was it Wanted? Uh, and it was a comic book before that. It had Angelina Jolie and they basically were kill one person to save a thousand type mentality or whatever. And so you could be kind of a fun assassin build with it. Uh, the big thing that I took away from this one here was your membership in the Angels guarantees you and only you paid quarters waiting for you in any settlement or city in Galespit, a gift from your mysterious benefactor at the discretion of the GM. So you don't ever have to worry about it. Like you just walk in and you like show the coin or like, yeah, you're good. And it's like, john wick style shenanigans you know it was, it was, it was cool I, I could see a lot of fun with it whether you're on your way out or on your way in um being this little death cult assassin person who you know i don't know how you role play with a group of people that you're a murderer uh but is what it is i guess this one really reminded me of the faceless men from game of thrones okay yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that 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 social background. Um, and I don't typically read through the social backgrounds because usually you and I focus so much on the classes, but I did skim quite a few of these. And and again, I would just immediately draw into this one because of the faceless men uh, similarities. Mm -hmm. uh, so you get one that's kind of dealing with uh, not necessarily evil, but cleric assassins, uh, something like that. Uh, Cult of the Agents is kind of based around the Witch of Belsameth where uh, you are kind of a, maybe a spy, I could see kind of working with it. Uh, it's called Assassin of the Ancients, but one of the, the features of it, under the training of the Cult of the Ancients, allows you to mask your presence in urban locations, enlist the aid of witches wherever they hide. You leave no physical traces of your passing in urban locations unless you wish to. You have friends in the cult and can usually find a friendly witch in any city you frequent, though the loyalty to your cause should be determined on a case-by-case -case basis. So I like that idea, just some of that fluff of, you know, you were never there, I thought was really cool. Um, moving into Hollow Fast, which is a group of necromancers uh, in, in that area. Uh, you don't build them for yourself, you build them for the good of society. Uh, but the, the, the social background here is uh, kind of a doctor, and it reminded me of like a Frankenstein. So you've spent so much time piecing together parts, you actually can heal people, which, I, you know, kind of with that background training, you, you gain proficiency in, in herbalism or a poisoner's kit. You can choose medicine, nature of survival. Uh, one of your features there that I really enjoyed was, uh, in addition, as long as you have access to cloth for makeshift bandages, you can always use an action to stabilize a dying creature if you possess a healer's kit. So just about anything you can piece together and heal people, which we've had that duality of, 
if the soul's not in the body, then does the body really matter? And what's sacred? And I, I think that would be a fun background to not mess with people, but challenge perception in a group. Yeah, I can see that. So those kind of went in the the people who are all about death. Then there's a background section based upon uh, devotion uh, with the adamantian church um which is kind of more of your not necessarily zealots but can be and it looks like they're kind of pushing that there where they are very much anti-titan spawn uh and having issues in in-house even with redeemed races uh so there's there's opportunity there uh, one of the things in the that background was uh, the cult of the forge and it really reminded me of uh, Bruner Battlehammer. Uh, it talks about you spend the nights looking at the stars and wondering about this craft, and you're willing to learn from anybody to make it, you know, better. And and then the aspect of growth, so you can finally forge the one item that you're, you know, your 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 Mona Lisa, your work of art. And and I thought that was kind of fun. Um, I like that they always carry a hammer with them at all times. I mean, that's just the sign of reverence for their craft. Uh, and then the last one was really cool was a, uh, you know, a him deer, the rogue, uh, who's known as to the halflings as the great defender. And this is an entire group of rebel freedom fighter halflings. And I, I don't know what it is about Scarlands that, uh, has some pretty interesting halflings, whether they're feral or wild, or in this one here, uh, just charismatic to a group, um, one of their things is uh, you may claim advantage on charisma persuasion checks made to coordinate groups of five or more people. So they would be a, a rally reader uh, or rally leader. Uh, I could see them just kind of, I don't know, just being that rebellious nature of a freedom fighter and a halfling of all areas, you know, just because you're small doesn't mean your voice doesn't carry type situations. So uh, some pretty cool backgrounds that really add some character stuff to some, the ability to, kind of deep dive a little bit deeper, whether it is your your faith or your uh, death. Uh, I think Skylands does a great job with that stuff. So more examples uh, turned out really well, and I was pretty impressed with them. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I really enjoyed these backgrounds. I thought they were really neat, but it was, and I'm really excited to actually talk about some of the classes in, in here, the two new classes specifically. Um, and, and of course, I'll let you handle that. But when we get to the, uh, the <laughs> is it the fighter class? I I, I, I want to talk to you about that one. So. <laughs> well, and I think the classes here was, uh, I think the theme of this is animal companion or mounted combat. Um, and I think Scarlands does that pretty well or both. of dealing <laughs> with animals and bringing them along for the ride. I, it can be very weak if you're like dungeon delving and you have a horn saw, what do you do with it? You know, we, we run into those uh, tactical things. So I think there's a, a place for the builds. Um, but anyway, uh, Barbarian Path uh, of the Steeps Archer. And so now we get to see a Raging Archer. And, and the big feature here is you do pick up some animal handling because this is paired with a mount. And this is what the Barbarians are known for. They are uh, almost Mongolian-esque marauders, marauders in, uh, in Scarred Lands. They, they are... Uh, travelers and and that kind of culture of prowess and yeah that's that's the theme i get from it so archer's rage you do not suffer disadvantage for making a ranged attack if a hostile creature is within five feet of you when you make a ranged attack using a bow uh, you gain bonus damage to that roll increase as you gain barbarian levels based upon your rage damage 
Uh, you also get the resistance that most barbarians do from their rage. You can use your reckless attack feature with any attack made using a bow. Uh, all other aspects of archer's rage function as a normal barbarian rage. You can choose to enter normal barbarian rage while in an archer's rage. The archer's rage immediately ends. So it's, it's a, a rage on top of what you already have, um, which I think kind of have it being a more focused effect or not being intimidated by something being up in your grill because you're a barbarian is pretty cool. Sixth level, you form a bond with a mount. Uh, it is not a magical mount. It is an actual mount. So if it dies, you have to find a new one. Uh, but while you're bonded with it, it gains hit points equal to your barbarian level plus your constitution modifier, which is very uh, nice for its survivability because usually those things have 13 hit points. Uh, and if it has an intelligence of five or less, its intelligence becomes six. And it, you can understand one language, which is very nice as well. So you can give it commands or your party can help if you're in trouble. 10th uh, level arrow storm. At 10th level, you can fire a bow at blistering speeds. If you do not use any movement this round, you can make one additional attack when attacking with a bow. If you are mounted, uh, use your mount speed. You can still use this feature. So now you get three attacks before the fighter does at 11, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and then at 14th level, when you rage, your mount uh, rages as well, getting the resistance and bonus to damage. So uh, a cool take on a, an archer from skilled marksman legless to I have no idea how you play a, a guy that's so angry that he's just talking smack from range and and picking people off. Maybe he's the guy that shoots the people in both legs and then the arms and pins them to the ground. I don't know. You could get really violent with it. So. A cool take on the barbarian. So, I, I like that. I did like this. One of the things that I liked about uh, this overall is the bonded mount. Uh, I like the fact that the mount actually grows with you with hit points because it says their their hit points are based on your barbarian level plus your constitution modifier. And like you said, sometimes those mounts just have shitty hit points, and it, it sucks. You know, being that person who has this mount and it's a cool feature and you want to use this ability, and suddenly your mount dies, and you you're, you feel like you're always spending time looking for another mount. Um, I did notice that it did say that you're bonded with this mount. It takes 24 hours to do so. Um, and then it takes, if this mount dies, you have to spend another 24 hours. And this is after you find a mount. It doesn't mean that you spend 24 hours, you get a mount. It's not a magical amount like Nolan said. You have to go find a mount. You don't summon anything. You have to go find one and then spend 24 hours doing the bonding ritual. Yeah. It's a it's a fine line to walk because usually mounts and animals, uh, again, they're they're not very sturdy, and so having an entire class based upon having an amount amount can be very difficult. Um, but when one can function just as well with or without, uh, I think that helps. It makes it a little less punishing. You know, if you're a beastmaster ranger and one of your attacks goes to your mount and and it dies, you're significantly weaker through that combat without it. This one here is, you're just not as mobile for the most part. Uh, and I, I think it's a good balance. So I'll let you talk about yeah, the, 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 the fighter then if you've got uh, this uh, excitement for, I can't imagine why. Sure. Uh, so the Dragon Knight. Oh, that was Immediately, yeah. <laughs> immediately you, you, you know, draw visions of human and dragon lands and all that stuff um so this is you you are taken to be trained by the order of the black dragon to ride a mock dragon this is a species of flightless drakes native 
if uh, to see the creature collection. The mount gains the ability to speak one language of your choice that you know. Your mount serves both in combat and out. You have an instinctive bond uh, with it, and it allows you to fight as a seamless unit. Just like the other class, if your mount dies, you must acquire a new mount before performing the bonding ritual. So I like that consistency between the two classes. Uh, losing a mount as a Calastian Dragon Knight is considered a grave offense to the hegemony and will come with severe consequences. GMs are encouraged to make acquiring a new mount arduous and dangerous. The Order of the Black Dragon may demand that the, the, the disgraced knight perform some quest and service to the Calastia before being granted a new mount. That's another thing I really enjoyed about this is it should be, you know, you've bonded with a very special creature. It should be a big deal if your mount dies. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, the, the tough thing, again, is uh, if you got somebody that's going to play this class or whatever, make sure you go over it as the GM uh, and with the player saying, this this is a big deal. This isn't just a throwaway tool. This has to be that you really need somebody that really likes a pet and, and wants that to be a thing. It's not just a tool in combat. I mean, you've got to really care for this. This needs to, you need to like it better almost than your party members because yeah. it, it is, it is, all this thing is about so so this is the one that really got me this dragon spear technique and i don't know if you read through this but i was i read this and i was like holy shit and, and maybe it's maybe it's stronger than or maybe it's not as strong as i think it is so and you're better at reading this stuff than i am so correct me if i'm wrong starting at third level you master the use are you master using the lance while mounted while mounted on your dragon mount if the mount moves at least 20 feet toward an enemy you and you make a successful attack with the lance against that enemy you deal an additional 1d12 piercing damage this die is rolled again if the attack is critical holy shit well hop over to the next side of it just because it says you can do this a number of times equal yeah. to your strength modifier uh and it is a long rest which was kind of a bummer yep. because you get those maneuvers on a battle master short rest recharge so i was hoping it was a little bit faster um this is one of the ones that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier where what if you're what if you're in a cave and you can't move 20 feet or your mount isn't with you you've completely lost your third level ability and that, that's where this stuff is kind of tough uh kind of balance out yeah, or could you could be really miserable. You're doing Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and you're not bringing a dragon yeah. down. You know what I mean? So I think it's it's very campaign specific as long as that too, because there are opportunities where moving 20 feet isn't real in a lot of stuff. You're fighting in a barn. You're fighting in, uh, you know, in an alley. You're fighting in some of the stuff. You're in a city environment. What is your Drake doing? So, I I think it's strong. But I think it's because of that situational use. Uh, yeah, you get a critical hit on it, and you're rolling 4d12. Um, if you happen to be a half-orc, you're rolling 5d12. Uh, so it's like, oh, yeah, you. but you also just got impaled by a dude on a lance on a dragon. You probably deserve to take 5d12. So I, I think that the yeah. ceiling is uh, very high for potential, but I also think it's so situational. But that, it's yeah, it's, it, it'll be a few and far between that you get to it. Yep, and that's why I bring these things to you to no, help I, bring me. Back I think there. it's awesome, but yeah, when you see that as a DM, you're just like, no, no, you also have a dragon. Exactly, too? no, you're no. not doing that. Uh, so anyway, that was actually the I really like the dragon spear technique. I really think, I mean, especially if you're playing up in the steps where the orcs are, and you have this ability to to do that twenty foot charge. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I can see somebody just riding in, boom, 
riding out, turning around, coming back. But you, know, you talked about, you know, not taking a dragon into a mine or into a, a dungeon and stuff. And he immediately thought of uh, Fellowship of the Ring, where Aragorn turns to Sam and says, a mine is no place for a pony. Right. And I think I would have to see the mock dragon as well, just to get an idea for it. I mean, is it in my mind, it's like a, a wormling or something like that. But then on the same token, is it like, I mean, is it agile like a cat? You know, is it a, a Dritz companion Guinevere style, you know, movement and ability? So maybe it is realistic that it would be someplace with you. But if you're riding it and mounting it and wielding a lance, you know, I imagine like draft horse size in my brain. So I don't know. Still, yeah, I would still agree. cool. I just, yeah, you'd be like, okay, now you're going into the mine for a month and say goodbye to your mount. I, I could see a player being like, bye, Bill. Say what? So. <laughs> Okay, so at 7th level, you get Endowment of Scales. The binding magics between you and your mount cause your body to grow thick black scales. While you're not wearing any armor, your armor class is equal to 13 plus your dex modifier, which could be really good. You can use a shield and still gain this benefit. If your dragon mount dies, you lose this benefit after 24 hours. If it, you form a new bond with the dragon mount, the scales grow back over 24 hours and you gain, regain this benefit. So I, I kind of like that. You know, your mount dies and you slowly start to lose that connection. It's very um i don't know if that's more fluff than anything but i could definitely see that adding some uniqueness to a role-playing situation it is it, the i like i like everything about the rp side of it the mechanical side of it like you said you know well if you have a decent dex and at this point we're talking about a lance and we're talking about our strength modifier and drag them out you know it's like okay so everything up until now has been uh, you know, I think a lance is a strength heavy weapon, you know, so we're pumping strength, which means you're most likely going for plate mail, which means you probably don't have a high dex. So you need, you know, you need uh, plus five in dexterity for the 13 uh, to be at plate mail. And so it's like, okay, That's so, so it, it's ability to, uh, you're starting to get a little mad, I guess, with your stats. Uh, and and that that gets kind of tough so for a big seventh level thing and i think most of the time seventh level on a fighter is kind of that uh fluff or uh you know it, it's not as exciting because the rest of the fighter ability set is really good but that was my only disappointing thing on there is now all of a sudden at after seven levels i need to have a high dexterity to use this otherwise why wouldn't you just yeah. keep your plate mail so yeah uh, exactly but anyway that was my only complaint uh, Dragonheart is at 10th level. You just gain resistance to acid damage and have advantage on saving throws made against being frightened. I thought that was kind of cool, um, mm -hmm. but nothing like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Uh, of one blood at 15th level, the binding magic draws you closer to your mount. Any healing you receive, including through second wind feature, affects the mount. That's that's a neat feature. Uh, the capstone, if you will, for this, this uh, class is at 18th level, you share your dragon mount's powerful breath. I thought this was really neat. You can use an action to exhale acid in a 15-foot line that is 5-foot wide. Each creature in the line must make a dexterity saving throw, DC 8, plus your proficiency bonus, plus your constitution modifier. Again, that could get ridiculous. Taking 5d8 acid damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. Once you use this feature, you cannot use it again until you finish a short or long rest. So this has potential being very strong. Mm -hmm. And and I remember too, uh, when it talks about the uh, dragon itself, it has an acid breath as well on a recharge of six. So again, seeing that kind of opening combat of you and your dragon spitting a line of acid uh, would be some pretty significant damage uh, being mobile on the Drake uh, and lining up those shots as well. 
uh, I think that's pretty cool. And I think that's the big thing too, to take away from it as well as some of this stuff, like you said, you know, the 10th level thing is cool. You know, neat. Okay. It's not great game breaking, but don't forget this whole time you have a, you know, dragon wormling fighting with you as well. So you've got that extra partner that's acting on its own. So you're playing right, right. two people at the same time. So I think that's probably where the, some of this balance comes in of maybe this isn't the most exciting or we're not doing, you know, uh, you know, six attacks or, you know, anything crazy, but you are getting that Drake to mess stuff up for you too. So, right. And, and ideally at 18th level, because of the constitution modifier or the way the, the hit points are for your mount, you're going to have a mount that should stick around for a little bit longer in the battlefield. So if you're both doing this breath weapon, that can get pretty devastating pretty quickly too. Mm -hmm. And And adding that, like you said, the healing to it through you as well helps a lot. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. Do you want to talk about monk? Sure. This is an interesting order of monk, uh, way of the scar, sacred chain, uh, and it is very much a uh, spike chain master style. And then everything is kind of built around being a slaver, which I thought was kind of interesting on a monk. Uh, not anywhere from just like usually they're disciplined and and in inner and self-focused and this one here is a, a very much a, a control style class and it takes on that slaver theme so uh you gain spike chain mastery which is in the scarlands uh, player's guide you become proficient with it additionally a spike chain counts as a monk weapon for you uh, when you make a successful attack with a spike chain, you can make uh, spend one key point and attempt to trip your enemies. The target must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or be knocked prone. I think that is pretty big, that ability one key to try and knock somebody prone, setting up everybody. Uh, and the spike chain has a, a huge reach on it, so you're not necessarily in melee. So dumping it on its hind end so that you know the Dragon Knight can come in and have advantage on that potential 5d12 is pretty huge. Uh, Slaver Strike. At third level, you can strike a wounded creature and bring them to heal. When you make a successful attack with your spike chain against a creature with half or fewer hit points remaining, you can spend two key points to attempt a Slaver Strike. The target must succeed on a con saving throw or be incapacitated for 10 minutes or until they take damage. Uh, while incapacitated this way, the target's speed is reduced to zero. So got to get a billy club to knock somebody out if you don't want to kill them. Uh, some, some neat fluff. Also very strong of uh, Something's under half health, you knock it unconscious, and everybody gets a coup de gras on it. Usually, most likely, will end a fight. So the two key points is a little bit steep, but it can also just end an encounter for you as well. Uh, it starts to take on a very fun Indiana Jones feel here now. Uh, climb the chain. Starting at 6th level, you can use your spike chain to pull yourself to any object within 10 feet of you, spinning an amount of movement equal to the distance traveled. Your GM may also allow you to anchor the chain to an object above you and swing over obstacles, traveling no more than 10 feet. So now all of a sudden we're Indy swinging through the Temple of Terror, which is fantastic. Uh, more mobility on a monk is never a negative either, giving up you know, uh, adding the 10 feet vertical, uh, we're getting close to running on walls as well. So you could probably with a couple of good rolls, you know, whip out, pull yourself up 10 feet while your movement's going, run up the wall, whip out another thing, you know, you could scale pretty quickly. So uh, 11th level dervish of terror, you can use your action and spend four key points to perform a flourish with your spike chain creatures within 20 feet of you that you can see must make a wisdom saving throw or become frightened of you for one minute. Uh, the nice thing about this one here, again, is expensive, but if you pull it off, frightened means that they can't move closer to you. You have a 10-foot reach. 
you can just start slapping people and they can't get close to you. So again, makes up for being, it's a good defensive makes up for being a, a unarmored class. And then 17th level iron tempest starting at 17th level, you can create a storm of attacks with your spike chain. When you use the attack action, you can spend five key points to make an attack against every creature within 10 feet of you could be huge. Uh, very situational uh, as a monk if you find yourself completely surrounded uh like that then i would be a little scared but the potential for it is also fun to imagine so very very cool very interesting with the slaver tactic uh again some great options for role playing whether you want to be have that be your part of your past life and stuff you learned uh and you're trying to turn a leaf or something you really go into of uh we've seen some backgrounds that kind of fit in this role as well of of dominating and dominance so kind of a a borderline quasi evil monk or suppressor which i don't think i've seen before sure so the one that got me on this one was slaver strike um i again i i have issues when you talk about so it says you know, creature with half or fewer hit points uh they can spend the, the monk can spend two key points to attempt a slaver strike the target must succeed in a constitution saving throw or be incapacitated I sometimes, well, not sometimes, I have issues when you tell me that with a whip chain, you're going to strike a an ancient red dragon, and because he failed his saving throws, he's going to be incapacitated, uh, especially being a third level ability, just, I don't know, I, I have, I struggle with that one a little bit. Yeah, uh, if your ancient red dragon is failing a constitution saving throw from a level three character, you probably got bigger issues. Um, well, we're also is that a level three character? We're also in a world where a gnome can drop a fireball, so you got to get over the realism effect because we we do this a lot. I, I'm in the same boat. Like, well, how are you tripping a giant? You're a halfling. It's like right. you have no issue with that guy resurrecting the dead, but you have issues with me being small. Yeah, so we bring our physical stuff into the world uh, and ignore the magical stuff. So that that is a, a big balance. But again very strong you can only do it once per short rest at third level um but yeah like you said it is very much if it succeeds you most likely have everybody getting a coup de gras uh crit damage you know it it ends an encounter so it really does i mean you imagine uh curse of strahd using this ability boom strahd drops down oh look he's incapacitated and it's it's not really any different than I guess on that same thing. Okay, so if I am a monk and I do stunning strike, is that more acceptable because I touched nope. you on your chakra? And no, you, I, I have issues with strikes like this. So yeah, it's you know, it's no as different. Someone who has played around with a whip chain quite a bit, these abilities are you know, <laughs> just tell you this is not easy stuff to do. Whip chains are ridiculously dangerous to yourself. It's kind of like using nunchucks. How many times have you seen somebody whack themselves with nunchucks? That's why it is spike chain mastery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it is. I mean, it is one of those things. So again, if you run up and same thing, a monk doesn't need anything to run up and touch and paralyze an ancient red dragon if it fails its save by hitting it in its pressure point. Yeah. So I now mean, you're just transferring it into a weapon. And so... So I guess if I can believe in a magic missile, I should be able to believe that pressure points and chakras exist. It's part of their magic. If you take it out and say, okay, I, I cast know. hold person on the dragon and you're okay with it, but you're not okay if I do it with my fist. It's the same thing. That's all right. I concede you win. 
It is yeah, it is tough though because you can I can see magic in my head happening like oh yeah that, that makes sense a paralysis spell that makes sense uh, you you poked me in the neck with your pinky and now I, I can't move fuck you you poke that red dragon in the neck with your pinky and he can't move no come on <laughs> arrows are bouncing off this thing <laughs> it, it's his uh, weak chi sorry <laughs> yeah your outside I, is strong your inside is weak and this is just one of those times where. Um, obviously if I'm the DM or the GM, whatever, uh, it's one of those times where I'm just going to go. Yeah. Okay. You do it. I, I don't like it, but yep, you do it. It's your ability. I'm not going to say you can't. Yeah. And again, it, it attacks the constitution saving throw, which most things are really good at. Um, so. well, and, and like you said, if you, if, if it's, if it's an ancient red dragon who a fails his constitution saving throw and B has already run through his legendary reactions of saying, yeah, I passed my saving throw. He probably deserves to fail. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of monks get used to that idea of their job with stunning strike is to burn through those legendary saving throws. Well, I'm going to stun him and I'm going to have flurry of blows and I'm going to do it four times and I'm going to make him fail one of them. So he does it. So that way next round the mage can feeble mind him or whatever. Right. So. Right. So, yeah, anyway. they work in tandem with other abilities. It's really good. So, yeah. okay, so we do have some races. Do we want to talk about those? You know, they'll be they'll be really quick. Uh, Scarlands does the half uh, half orc half elf better than most. Uh, part of uh, this year is talking about half orcs and kind of what it is to be them. What Scarlands does with those is half orcs and half elves get five features, and you get to pick and choose them from your parents. So say your dad is a half-orc, or your dad's an orc, and your mom is a halfling. You can take Lucky, and you can take Orc Endurance. Uh, and those two, and you've got three more to pick. And I think that's really cool. You've got a little bit of your mom, you got a little bit of your dad. Uh, as long as they don't overlap each other of like nimble size where you're moving in and out because you're a little bit smaller, and then you take powerful build because you're super strong, uh, you can't do both if they contradict each other you can't be super huge and strong and powerful and nimble and agile at the same time but yeah i think having a halfling parent just so you could pick up lucky makes half elves and half orcs really strong uh it does it, it talks yeah. about what happens if you get a half orc and a half elf uh you take the base of one and the features of the other your choice and that's what you are so if you're half orc you have orcless you know relentless endurance you've got powerful strikes and then you go to the half elf side and you get plus two to charisma plus one to two other stats and away you go so really gives you a lot of options to just customize your guy and make for some interesting things that people probably have never seen before an elf and a halfling have a baby uh what are you well i'm gonna snake some lucky i'm gonna snake the ability to hide in the woods i'm gonna take the ability to be immune to sleep and never sleep I'm, and when it comes out you're gonna have the most wildest interesting character of what are you and you're like i say the same thing every day i you know is what it is yeah. so and i want to point out that some of these classes like the half orc half elf like we're used to those being in D D. like in the player's guide for D D, we're used to that stuff <clears throat> with scarlands they're not in the player's handbook so it like when we did vengeance of the shun i think you played a half elf and zach played a half orc mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken and we didn't have the ability to do like what we're doing with these because we went just straight off of the D D rules so scarlands i mean if you're going to get into scarlands there are some resources that you probably want to pick up which is why we talk about these things because yugman's adds some neat stuff and the ability to 
pick and choose your half whatever really adds some flavor and some depth to your character right it's it's really good travis did some of this stuff early with some of his writing and i think that's what we used for ours and then seeing it kind of come out to a final product is is fantastic so right so we get a little bit of half work uh and then the other one we get in this one is the minotaur yeah, which I've heard a lot of people really, I mean, when Theros came out, that was the big deal, right? Minotaurs? Mm -hmm. Or was it Ravnica? I can't remember. I think it was Theros. It seems to kind of fit the theme. And this one here kind of goes in that same theme as well. Uh, it is a powerful build, strength and con are increased by one. Uh, the big thing on here is you are big, uh, you are quick. And then you get into the labyrinth. Beginning at fifth level, you can focus on one target you can see within 30 feet of you and attempt to send their mind into the labyrinth. The target must make a charisma saving throw. On a failed save, they believe they have been teleported to an ancient maze of stone inhabited with terrifying monsters. This has the effect of the confusion spell, but also causes uh, audio and visual hallucinations. If the target is allowed to act normally due to the role at the start of their turn, their mind glimpses what is going on around them outside of the labyrinth for that turn. You cannot cast other spells that require concentration and must make concentration saving throws if you take damage while using this feature. You may use this ability once and regain all ability to do so when you finish a long rest. Wisdom is your spellcasting ability for this power. Uh, so all of a sudden, you know, sending people uh, interesting CC, I guess, bringing the labyrinth back is really cool. Um, part of that ability of the labyrinth, uh, you can perfectly recall any path you've traveled. So you are pretty hard to get lost. Uh, then you can, you get a little damage reduction similar to the, the Goliath with the stone giant thing. Your thick hide allows you to shrug off injury. Uh, once per short or long rest, you can roll a D12 and add your con modifier to it to reduce the amount of damage taken by a hit. Uh, you speak Titan speech in two other languages. And then there's a couple. There's a Highland and a Lowland Minotaur. Uh, Highlands are a little more, uh, I don't know, hardy, I guess, is the, the word. You acclimated to high elevations. Your constitution is increased by one. And, you know, spare the dying cantrip because you're closer to the Earth Mother. Uh, you can cast Aid once per day. You can cast Beacon of Hope once per day at, at the appropriate level. You gain ability to do these after a long rest. So kind of a... I don't know, maybe a shaman, maybe a yeah. cleric style. And then Lowland is basically big, gnarly brawlers, scary horns, strength increases. You can charge and impale people, uh, gore them. Your horns are natural weapons, which you can make an, an unarmed strike. On a hit, you deal piercing damage, 1d6 plus your strength modifier instead of bludgeoning damage. Um, and you count as one size larger for determining your carrying capacity. So all of a sudden you get the ability to gore and rake and you're never unarmed. So. I've never been a yeah, Minotaur player, but they creatures. sound pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they are medium-sized creatures, which I thought was interesting. And it does say that both of these, Lowland and Highland, weigh between 280 and 360 pounds. Lowlands tend to be over 8 foot tall, while the Highlands tend to be just under 8 foot. So... Big, big, big creatures medium no creatures, yeah, <laughs> which is interesting. Enough. So, and that's it. That's those are the races and the classes and a little bit of the backgrounds that were available in Yugman's Part Five. So, your thoughts overall? I enjoy them. I really do. And again, it comes down to having more options makes you forget that there might be a a better one. If I tell you pick one of these three, you're going to be like, "Well, this one's clearly better." And so far, we've seen 
you know, five, six, seven fighters, you know, that are all in and so customized. It's like, well, I like the theme of this. I don't care if this is good as Battlemaster. I get to be a Dragon Knight. And that sounds cool. You know, all of a sudden, best in slot, as the Warcraft term is, is no longer really there. And it's more fluff and flavor and building a story. And when that subclass is at third level, you get a Dragon Knight and you get a mount and there's a story there versus at third level i crit on a 19 or a 20 for a champion it's like this you can work with you know what i mean there's there's something here and so i feel like the rp is heavy there's some depth. Um, and a lot of things too you'll take a look at the dragon or the dragon mount you look at that mount you're like holy crap that's really strong for third level remember in scarlands everything is designed to be really strong because the world is actively trying to kill you so the 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 standard statistics for half elves elves gnomes goblins all that kind of stuff they are all supercharged they usually have an extra stat they usually have extra skills uh characters are more powerful in this world because the world is more powerful so if you're comparing some of the stuff you might need to add a little something from a php class to bring it in line with what your players are playing around as well so if you have somebody that wants to play just a champion and they're sitting right next to a guy with a dragon knight you might need to throw them an extra bone just to make them feel welcome because having a drake and having a guy impaling people with a lance at third level is going to do stuff you know knocking people incapacitated at third level with your monk while the other one can barely do you know a water whip is going to feel like he's a little bit behind so just be mindful that it is designed to be powerful races and powerful classes because the world is hard powerful yeah, Scarlands is a fascinating world. And like Nolan said, it is actively trying to kill you or destroy your equipment. I mean, it just never fails. It's it's a tough, tough place to live. And so your classes have to be tough. Uh, we will continue our look at Yugman's Guide to Gelsped as we look at part six next week, which I think is the final chapter of Yugman. Correct. So, and... You can purchase all of these on DriveThruRPG. I think they carry a price tag of like 3 or $4. They're not too expensive. Uh, and I know that Travis did say that once this is done, it will be like they did with Vengeance of the Shun, combined into one book so we can just buy one PDF or even hopefully a print-on-demand option as well. So be sure to take a look at that. Uh, part six say, is out. Yeah, is I was say, part six is out. I, uh, on the Kickstarter. Uh, I was able to hop in there and pick, and it had a uh, Yugman's Guide collection, like one through six for, it was like 10 bucks or something like that as an add-on. Nice. So I, I picked up those just to throw a little extra support that way. That's very, awesome. very good. We've talked about this a lot of uh, not waiting a year or two to get a $60 supplement book versus these little things that we'll gladly play three, four, five dollars for and have something in our hands that adds to the world. Uh, Yugman's has been yeah. a lot of fun having it coming out bi-monthly. Um, I think in six, everybody keeps telling me that I'm going to be excited about the Hornsaw Ranger. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm scared to death of a Hornsaw Ranger because it's a Hornsaw. <laughs> Fair enough. Hornsaws, yeah. Although it did sound like it was just a mount. It wasn't going to be a battle companion. I don't know. I mean, after seeing people get a Drake... You know what I mean? It's true. You're going to tell me you're going to fight with a dragon and you're going to let me ride a horn side fight with. I mean, sweaty. Thank you so much for listening. Like I said, next week we will be looking at Yugman's Guide to Gelsbed Part 6. That'll wrap up our Yugman's look. Um, did we want to do Vigil's Watch? 
I think we could take a look at it. And then uh, was it the, the Fenric one? We can look at some of the locations yep. uh, there as well. Yep. I think after Yugmans, we'll take a look at Frostlands of Fenrilic, uh, And then we'll maybe we'll dive into Vigil's Watch after that. Yeah, we've got a, a few things coming too that's going to come up on us fast. We'll be able to, I'm excited for Altered Carbon uh, as well, just because new game, new Very world. True. And again, yeah, it's nice to have stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, after the first year, we are going to be streaming this live. Yes. So that will be a couple Which of hours. Yeah, at least have a, a little hour episode live where people can come in and chat with us uh, if they so inclined. And then we'll throw something up on YouTube as well. So uh, just a couple areas to help us uh, grow and hopefully meet some more people. Absolutely. Well, that is our show for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. <laughs>